I don't know if Hans cheated over the board or not, but it just seems like, to me, possibly blacklisting this kid. You know, I'm an advocate of innocent until proven guilty. Hans is no saint. So that makes me sad. But then also the fact that Hans is now suing makes me sad. I understand feeling aggrieved, but I had some hope that we could move past this. And now I don't think these relationships can ever be mended. I hope I'm wrong, but that's sort of my impression. I don't know if he's a narcissist, but I think his self-confidence is genuine. Um, I, will, I will say it's, it's not an act. On the last episode of Rooked, we started this special two-part player episode delving into the main characters at the center of the scandal. So if you don't know who Magnus Carlsen is by now, you need to go back and listen to the last episode. Because we, along with our main guest, author and journalist Bryn Jonathan Butler, talked a lot about him. Also, not to brag, but it's a pretty good episode. But this episode isn't about Magnus Carlsen. This is about the other player at the heart of the Singfield Cup scandal. The accused cheater, the established cheater, the heel to the king of chess. Hans Niemann is a decade younger than Carlsen, but we've got just as much to say about him, if not more. Where he came from, the unexpected events that brought him to St. Louis for that fateful game, and how his career has been impacted. This is a tale of a meteoric rise brought to an almost complete standstill. This is a tale that marked a turning point for not one, but two careers. This is a tale of cheating, of lies and conspiracies. This This is is Rooked, the Cheater's cheater's Gambit. Gambit. I'm Jeff Schmidt. I podcast and I follow chess in that order. I'm Ryan Webb. I play chess and podcast in that order. Just kidding. I'm Jess. Yeah, me too. No, you're not. No, I'm kidding. You're Ryan. I'm not. I was kidding. <laughs> you know from the last episode of Rook that there are two big names in this scandal, Hans Niemann and Magnus Carlsen. Just like always, we're going to try and give you the cold, hard facts. But we might also have a few opinions of our own. Welcome to part two, The Players. We continue with the so-called bad boy of chess, Hans Niemann. But before we officially introduce you to our main guest for this episode, let's bring back a familiar voice. You met Bryn Jonathan Butler last episode. He literally wrote a book on Magnus Carlsen, but he has some great opinions on Hans Niemann, too. Hans Niemann looks the part of a Bond villain. Looking at him the first time, I thought he looked like the illegitimate child of Ted Kaczynski and Malcolm Gladwell. And then he has this wonderful transatlantic accent that makes no sense whatsoever. He's a bizarre character. He's very bright. He's charismatic. He's colorful. A lot of the world has become not what is like pro wrestling, but what is not like pro wrestling, especially in the United States. And he seems sort of like a good heel using their parlance. We already talked about this in part one of episode two, but we really do want to have the fullest picture. In order to do that, you need to understand who both players at the heart of this scandal are and where they're coming from. Also, you should know that both of these men's paths that led them to the Singfield Cup couldn't be more different. It's not really two equals at the chessboard. It's the GOAT, Magnus Carlsen, and the scapegoat, Hans Niemann. And you need to keep that at the back of your mind no matter what side you take. Hans, like Magnus, is sort of a tricky person to pin down. He gives a lot of interviews, but he still seems very unapproachable in a lot of ways. Obviously, he didn't want to talk to us. And unlike Magnus, we did not even get a rejection to our request for an interview. He just never responded to any of our attempts to reach him. However, Hans did give an interview to another podcaster and title chess player that we both respect a lot. 
and who did agree to talk to us. You already heard Ben Johnson's voice at the top of the episode. Hi, my name is Ben Johnson. I am the host of the Perpetual Chess podcast. I'm also a pretty good amateur chess player, but not a professional player by any means. I interview a lot of top authors, grandmasters, content creators, and cover crazy chess stories such as the Hans Niemann Magnus Carlsen saga. Along with the Perpetual Chess podcast, Ben also has another podcast called How to Chess. Generally, he's an excellent resource for all things chess-related. And he's a super-duper podcaster, too. And not only is Ben a more experienced podcaster than us, with over 300 episodes under his belt, he's also a lot better at chess than we are, and most definitely ever will be. My highest ranking was USCF Master, which on an international scale, that would be a bit below FIDE Master. It puts you in the top, say, at least 5% of tournament players, but means if I played a Grandmaster, I'd be lucky to draw like one out of seven games or something. They're way better than me across the board. Which also really puts into perspective just how competitive high-level chess is. But we digress. Oh, and if you're tired of hearing Jess and I waffle on the whole did he or didn't he cheat of it all, we're not the only ones who are conflicted. Ben said he's basically on the same page as we are when it comes to Hans in this whole controversy. And again, he had Hans on his show as a guest at one point. And we're going to talk about that more in a bit. But for now, I think Ben put the whole problem of the cheating scandal quite eloquently. I think more likely than not, he did not cheat. But as I've said on Perpetual Chess, like a lot of the online arguing came from people just being sure one way or the other. And we weren't there. I definitely don't know for sure. And I've had people who know Hans personally tell me that they think he did it. Maybe not that game, but that he has cheated over the board. There are people who know his personality who say he might have done it. So... To me, it's more just that when I look at the evidence, it's not very convincing to me, even though some people find like the quality of his games, a few cherry-picked games out of you know the hundreds that he's played as like smoking guns. To me, that's far from it. So without further ado, let's talk about Hans. At one point or another, we've both wandered into the territory of defending him. One of the most difficult aspects of this case is that it's severely lacking in hard, conclusive evidence. At most, we get moral grays, half-truths, coerced confessions and apologies. But that's not for us to say yet. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, as we're wont to do on this podcast, it seems. Let's back it up, all the way back to 20 years ago. The date is June 20th, 2003. A baby by the name of Hans Niemann is born in San Francisco, California, in the good old U.S. of A. You sound like you're doing a voiceover intro for, like, a Hallmark Christmas movie or something. After 20 years away from his hometown, he returns just in time for the holidays. And despite his love of the big city he finds himself falling for a humble breadstick baker who takes care of his family's decrepit estate and is also the only vet in town. Let's focus on Hans for now, though, Jess. He's a Cancer. Actually, he's a Gemini. Get your astrology straight. Okay, sorry. According to Wikipedia, Hans lived in California until he was seven, then moved to the Netherlands for a couple years. That's where he started playing chess and then back to California. All of that is pretty normal. Hans became the youngest ever winner of the Mechanics Institute Chess Club Tuesday Night Marathon, which is the oldest chess club in the United States and is where he earned his United States Chess Federation master title. When he was 11, Hans played in the 2015 National Open of the Las Vegas International Chess Festival. And he was the last person to play a rated game against GM Walter Brown, who died in his sleep shortly after competing in that tournament. Coincidence? Just kidding. It is a coincidence. Hans is on trial for a much pettier crime than murder. It's just a game after all. No disrespect to Walter Brown. 
But you get the picture. From a young age, Hans has been a prominent player in the U.S. chess scene. Also, this is a complete side note, but at one point, Hans was also the number three under 12 cyclist in the United States. And he was also, quote, really into water polo, end quote. Those are Hans's words. He was obviously a fast rising star, but he wasn't like the fastest rising. So I remember thinking there's probably some other prominent young players, fast rising players must be jealous of him. We talked fairly substantially about like the coaching. He wouldn't say which coach he was working with, but he implied that they are helping pay for very high level coaches. And, you know, opportunities like that can be hard to come by. I assume the relationship, I don't know if it ended immediately with the accusations, but certainly with the lawsuit that would end it. The relationship Ben talks about here is the one Hans had with Play Magnus. Because get this, Hans was an ambassador for Play Magnus. And that's partially how he got funding for things like coaching. Now, we don't know exactly when that relationship ended, or even what the term ambassador entails besides being a representative of the company. That's what I was asking Ben about. Safe to say, Hans's ambassadorship was no longer being promoted on the Play Magnus website after the events at Singfield Cup. But up until that point, it's not like Hans and Magnus had been feuding publicly for ages. They're not the Montagues and the Capulets. A plague on both your houses! God, I love Claire Danes. Do you want to fuck Claire Danes? Yeah. Okay. Who doesn't? Well. well do you not? No, I did. <laughs> That's what Homeland Season 1 is about. <laughs> Ryan fucks Claire Danes in Homeland Season 1. Yep. It's canon. Check out my IMDb page. <laughs> <clears throat> we'll talk more about the rift between Hans and Magnus later, but yeah, it's important to note that they were not always on bad terms. Let's skip forward a bit to 2018 and 2019, when Hans starts to really take his chess career seriously. Prior to this, Hans is a yet-to-be grandmaster focusing primarily on his streaming career. Hans starts streaming occasionally in the summer of 2018, but he begins streaming more regularly in the spring of 2019, and after achieving some moderate growth, his viewership skyrockets in early 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. Streaming chess almost daily, Neiman's audience grows more than tenfold, coinciding with an overall boom in the chess category on Twitch during that time. Hans's streaming content is a lot like most of the other chess streamers, but it is very evident that he is a teenager. Here's a clip of Hans losing his shit after being tricked into a stalemate by Daniel Naroditsky in a chess.com online game. And warning, it's exactly as loud as a 16-year-old losing his cool usually is, so just... Prepare your ears. Okay. What? Oh! How is he so smart? That would be a great bass drop. Hans's streaming career is honestly pretty successful, and he plays well, but he also loses a fair number of computer mice. Ryan, would you care to explain, since you've also lost mice in this way? Well, sometimes you lose a game that you think you're going to win. What's on your desk? I'm not throwing my phone. You're not throwing your phone again, you mean, because you got in trouble for that last time. R.I.P. to all the dead mice and one USB mini fan. So anyways, chess rage is a pretty common thing, and Hans Niemann is no exception. And while we could break down all these clips and give you, you know, proper context, etc., like we usually do, I think this will be way funnier, or I mean impactful, as a supercut of Hans losing it. So here you go. How am I this fucking Good. Get fucking down and bow down! I feel kind of bad that the one thing I'm focused on right now is... No, 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 no
And here's my favorite clip. You can hear in his voice how excited baby international master Hans is to play against the rock star of chess himself, Magnus Carlsen. Chat, we're playing fucking Magnus! We're playing Magnus Carlsen! Holy shit! But it's not all sunshine and roses at this time. Hans doesn't get into his choice university. Where would we be if he did? Would this podcast even exist? You know, one year ago, I was a a Harvard reject with no uh, potential in life. You know, I was 25, maybe 20. I was barely a grandmaster. I had just like, you know, got rejected uh, from my dream school, you could say. So one year ago, things were looking pretty bleak. This is uh, definitely, in some cases, a dream come true. The fact that I'm even a professional chess player now is a complete miracle. Um, It would have been so easy for me to... Uh, be you know, a professional streamer or, or go to college. But uh, the fact that I've been given this opportunity to be a professional chess player, uh, I'm very grateful for and, and will make the most of. Interesting that Hans's measure for success is you either go to an Ivy League school, become a world-recognized chess champion, or have no potential in life. We're probably fucking losers in Hans Neiman's eyes. This is what No Potential looks like. You podcast exclusively about an anal beads chess cheating scandal. After undeniable success online and one college rejection, he basically stops streaming altogether. We now know from the events and interviews that took place during the Sinkfield Cup that this was likely due to his chess.com account suspension because Hans was caught cheating online. So I cheated in random games on chess.com. Now, I was confronted, I confessed, and this is the single biggest mistake of my life, and I'm completely ashamed, and I'm telling the world because I do not want any misrepresentation, and I do not want rumors. Actually, he was streaming at one of the points where he got banned, so amazingly, we actually have tape of his reaction. (laughs) I got banned. Oh, (laughs) I got banned. He banned me, just banned me. He banned me, oh my God. I got banned. I can't even, I can't even joke around. I got banned, are you kidding me? I'm going to leech us. I'm going to leech us. You banned me? At this point, Hans does a complete 180. He decides that rather than pursue his career online and locally in the U.S. circuit, he'll travel to Europe and start playing in as many OTB tournaments as he can so he can gain his GM title. I have lived in a suitcase traveling around Europe playing chess nonstop. Here's another clip from Ben. With Hans compared to other people, he has put forth the narrative that part of the reason he cheated online when he did, especially when he was... 16, uh, he said 16, it turns out maybe 17 too, was he was living on his own without financial support in New York City. Obviously that's expensive, so he was trying to drive up interest in his Twitch viewership. The stronger the players you play, the more people want to tune in. I think he definitely, from what he said in his online cheating, it sounds like he viewed it as a shortcut. Like, I'm this strong anyway, but let's like dispense with the formalities and get my rating up there so that I can reap the rewards. If he were to have cheated over the board, I think it would have been a similar rationale where he just felt like, I'm trying to support myself. I'm going to be a world-class player, but I need to get this Grandmaster title as soon as possible so that I can get invites. I would say there's a 20% chance he cheated over the board and 80% chance he didn't. But it's not hard to come up with a motivation. Um, And uh, as Fabiano Caruana pointed out in the C-Squared podcast, there are many people where you can judge their character and say they would never cheat. And obviously you can't say that about Hans, being that we know that he did cheat online. This is something we keep coming back to in comparing Golden Boy Magnus and Bad Boy Hans. We put them in the same category since they're both grandmasters at a similar playing level at Sinkfield and both in the world top 100 players. But that's where a lot of the similarities end. Hans is 12 and a half years younger than Magnus. Well, 12 years and 163 days. Excuse me for rounding up. 
So anyway, Hans is born in a completely different decade than Magnus was. Magnus grew up on chess books. Kasparov was only defeated by Deep Blue when Magnus was six years old. And Google hadn't even been invented yet. Hans grew up in the age of the internet. And thanks to people like Magnus developing chess apps and websites, he had access to basically any chess game from his back pocket. Not to say that Magnus didn't as well, but he didn't grow up on it. That wasn't his formative years. We're going to talk more about how the games changed with the advent and uprising of online chess. But safe to say, like most of the world, chess has been drastically impacted by the dawn of the internet. It's normalized a lot of unsavory behavior, up to and including cheating. Cheating at online chess wasn't really available to Magnus. A rounded up, 13-year difference isn't that significant in the grand scheme of things. But in the chess world, especially in the last 30 years, it's incredibly significant. Magnus saw the birth of online chess and knew what came before it. Hans has only known chess as the twofold creature that it has become. He has never not known the tension and struggle between these two different worlds of online and OTB chess. Also, I'm not trying to apologize for Hans, but I just made so many mistakes when I was a teenager. Oh, me too. Okay, I guess neither of us is as brave as Hans and is just unwilling to revisit our teenage mistakes. We can just save that for our therapists, I guess. You guys don't need to know. (laughs) Suffice to say, what Hans did was wrong, but he's arguably been paying a way bigger price than a lot of us have for youthful mistakes. And if you think Hans needed something more severe than gallivanting across Europe as his punishment... Does it make you feel better that when Hans wasn't actively playing in tournaments, he just stayed in his room and studied chess the whole time? We have the receipts. Or at least secondhand receipts of the receipts. It happens in a lot of my interviews. I ask them about their study routines, and it seems like days often add up to more than 24 hours. Laurent Fresnay on the Chicken Chess Club podcast described Hans visiting some chess players when he was passing through Paris. And they're like, aren't you going to go see the sites? And he's like, no, (laughs) you know, 19 year old kid in Paris for the first time. And all he wanted to do was uh, chess stuff. So I do think he works extremely, extremely hard on his chess, uh, probably uh, to a fault. Can you imagine going to Paris and sitting in your room and playing chess? Yeah, like just like not going to the Louvre. Actually, I could imagine you going to Paris and just sitting in your room and playing chess. I take it back. I need to see the Mona Lisa at least. Yeah, you would probably sit on a bench near the Mona Lisa in the Louvre and play chess. (laughs) And like, you're going to the Eiffel Tower to play play chess. chess. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't believe Ben, I don't know why you wouldn't. Ben really knows his shit. And again, he literally did a direct interview with Hans. David Franklin, our resident law expert, said basically the same thing. Yeah, you know, he reminds me a little bit, personality-wise, of Bobby Fischer. Fischer had this one-person-against-the-world mentality where he, he just was very brash and he would say incredibly arrogant things. Now, Fischer could back them up because he was the strongest player in the world. Hans isn't there and probably never will be, but he has a sort of similar monastic kind of monomaniacal streak. You know, he says he studies chess 10, 12, 15 hours a day, you know, living out of a suitcase in hotel rooms. He was in Paris and didn't even see the sights of Paris because he was in his hotel room studying chess all day. That's very Fisher-like as well. I'm going to fuck around with a baguette at least. A baguette in chess. That's like the French version of Netflix and chill. Baguette and chess? Baguette and bedbugs and chess. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Why are we telling you this? Well, first of all, it's weird, and we love how weird it is. But this is also evidence that you need to file away in your little podcast mind palace. Because there's still more to come on just how weird Hans is. And it's also important to note that while in Europe, Hans did obtain the GM title that he was fighting for, and he had a meteoric rise in ELO. So all the locking himself in his room clearly did work. 
And when we say meteoric rise, the exact numbers are that he had an ELO of 2313 in July 2018. And two years later, in March 2022, he had a rating of 2642. Now, the difference of 329 points might not seem very significant. But remember what we talked about last episode? In Magnus's pursuit of 2900, we explained that at a high level, ELO increases not linearly, but by order of magnitude. This is called the K value, and it goes up significantly when you cross the threshold of 2400. That's essentially the barrier between titled players and non-titled players, except for GMs, which require a rating of over 2,500. While Hans is not exactly close to Magnus's ELO rating, his highest rating of 2,708 is nothing to sneeze at. Hans has been a top 100 player in the world since 2020 and even peaked at number 31 in May of 2023. But a year before that, and six months before the scandal at the Sinkfield Cup would take place, Ben published his interview with Hans on March 22nd, 2022. If you're really interested, you should just listen to the whole episode and listen to the Perpetual Chess podcast in general, because Ben is as good an interviewer as he is interviewee. We've linked the Perpetual Chess podcast in the show notes, so listen and subscribe as the kids say. Smash that like button. That being said, here's our favorite highlights from Ben's interview with Hans that he has graciously let us repurpose for this podcast. And trust us when we say it was hard to narrow this down as Hans was his strange self basically the entire interview. You made an absolutely insane jump from 2021 to 2022. Your rating was about 2480 FIDE at the beginning of last calendar year, and you're over 2640 now. I mean, that's just extremely rare feat when you're already at such a high level. So uh, how do you reflect on this year and a half, Hans? I mean, I know you've got tournaments fresh in your mind, but when you step back, how do you reflect on it? Well, I guess you could say it was a successful year. I don't know. It, it was, you know, when, when, when I look back on it, I definitely am happy. But I'm also thinking, you know, it could have happened faster. Uh, but maybe that's the, the greedy side in me, right? But for, from a mental level, I think it was one of the most challenging. Like the, the mental strength that I had to have, the, the uh, traveling so long alone with COVID and, and all of that that entailed, I think was such a, an experience um, that I think it really just helped me grow as a chess player, but also gave me just immense mental strength and fortitude that would really help uh, my chess game as well. So I think you could definitely say it was life-changing uh, in, in many respects. <laughs> so modest, Hans. Very good non-answer. What would have to happen for you to feel like you didn't achieve your goal? Like what goal would, would not be reached? I think if I, didn't, if I don't reach the top 10, then I think I will uh, assess my chess career as a failure. Wow, that's heady stuff, man. <laughs> I think my life is a failure as well, if you want to get deep. Enough said. We're obviously now privy to the information that Hans was guilty of cheating online and has since confessed. But at the time when Ben was speaking to him, he still had a clean slate. Or at least his transgressions online were not yet public. So we wanted to hear from Ben whether or not he was surprised by the allegations in the wake of the Sinkfield Cup scandal. And if there was anything in the nearly 90-minute interview that he had with Hans that gave him some kind of insight into this aspect of Hans's character. Yeah, I did not have any sense. I had not heard the rumors about online cheating. Hans is not lacking for self-confidence. He comes across as sort of brash bad boy, and I think he kind of revels in that a little bit. So it it didn't surprise me that it turns out he's disliked, but that was sort of the extent of my impression of him. If you had asked me, like, is there anything that, that you would suggest that he's so unscrupulous that he's a cheater I would have said no. If you had asked me, like, among my guests, who do you think might have an extensive cheating history online, I might have guessed him only because he's so young. I just feel like anyone that age is more prone to to making mistakes. Um, I certainly made some mistakes as a teenager. So 
in that respect, it didn't shock me, but I didn't see, I hadn't heard anything and there was nothing in our conversation uh, that made me think that he would cheat, whether online or OTB. Again, go listen to Perpetual Chess. And thank you to Ben for being our direct contact with Hans and being such a generous resource to us and the rest of the chess world. Okay, next thing after Hans's interview with Ben in March 2022, the FTX Crypto Cup. You might remember this event from episode one. This is where Hans drops the whole... Chess speaks for itself. But he only wins the one game against Magnus in the best of four set. Afterwards, in another interview, Hans changes his tune a bit. Hans, to start out there, playing in a blazing speed. A what? Sorry, what was the... Your speed. It was it was going so fast there for a while. Well, yeah, I'm just uh, absolutely miserable. Like, uh, I just uh, would really like to do just... The fact that I have not like already gone to to the mini bar and uh, pull the Magnus is like, or the fact that I haven't like just jumped in the pool or, uh, uh, like the fact that I'm alive at this moment is 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 a is a miracle because after I lost this first game, I I, I think I was really just ready to just uh, go into the ocean and uh, never never come back. But do you think that speed that you put up, the intuitiveness of your chest, is a way of resetting and getting back to the real Hans Neiman? No, no, no. I wanted to lose as quickly as possible so uh, I could um, go back to my uh, hotel room and uh, turn all the lights off, order some, uh, some delivery, and uh, watch Netflix and numb the pain until the next game. I'm hoping that is not the same mind frame you had before game before. No, no, it's the exact same, um, and it's going to. Be, and uh, I've already. I think my Uber Eats in this event is already. It's I think maybe a thousand bucks in Uber Eats. So uh, I have been indulging uh, and uh, numbing the pain with a thousand dollars of Uber Eats. Is Hans sponsored by Uber Eats? Is that the image that Uber Eats wants? Uber Eats, don't walk into the ocean. Order a thousand dollars worth of food from us instead. Uber Eats. Food speaks for itself. Another amazing thing to come out of the FTX Crypto Cup is a picture of Hans and Magnus playing chess on the beach together. This is obviously a marketing ploy. I really cannot imagine a worse place to play chess. Very different than the standard suit and tie fair you get at most tournaments. But this gives us a crucial insight into what we were talking about at the start of the episode the state of Hans and Magnus's relationship before the whole cheating scandal. Not great for podcasting, but we'll include a link of the photo of them in the show notes. If I had to describe the image, which we have to because this is a podcast, they just look so uncomfortable. Hans is wearing Converse sneakers, for God's sake. I can practically feel the sand in his shoes. Terrible sensory experience. But even though they both look very posed, they seem amicable. But if I had to pick a point of where the Hans v. Magnus rivalry began, it would be this. But why, though? Because Hans's cockiness and attitude was sort of first on display here to a large audience. And on the opposite side of the board is Magnus. It's just disrespectful to say chess speaks for itself and walk out of an interview when you're asked about playing the number one chess player of all time. Magnus probably didn't care about Hans's response here, but I think it's sort of a cumulative thing. This is the precipitating event that got the ball rolling in the Hans v. Magnus rivalry. The stuff at Sinkfield is the result of this snowball. Here's Amelia Castellau. She's a chess player and academic who works for FIDE. She's coming back in a later episode to school us on the history of FIDE and chess. But for now, here's some of the insights she gave us when we asked her why she thought Magnus levied the cheating allegations through the methods that he did. I don't know. I guess putting myself in Magnus's shoes, I think the reason he went about it the way he did is because Hans has a history of, you know, being very eccentric online, especially in, you know, the FTX Crypto Cup in Miami, kind of the clips that went viral from that. And so 
I don't know if long-term things were really thought about that far in advance. Did you know that Rooked, the Cheater's Gambit, is an indie podcast? Indie as in independent. We don't receive any sponsorship support. Ryan and I make Rooked in our spare time for free. And don't get us wrong. We love getting to make this podcast exactly the way we want to. But we've been thinking that maybe with some support, we could make this show even better. I gotta figure out how to make money on this thing. It's simply too good. So, like many creators, we've joined Patreon. Can I just ask, what is Patreon? Great question, Ryan. Patreon is a way for fans to join and engage with their favorite creators' community. Basically, it's a platform that allows you to support creators financially. Currently, we have two tiers open. The pawn level, if you want to support us for five Canadian dollars a month, cheaper than mailing us an envelope of loonies and toonies, and the king level for $20 per month. If you choose to support us at the king tier, we'll also mention you by name in the episode credits. And if you support us at any level on Patreon, you'll also be able to access bonus content. This month, Ryan has put together an extra episode called The Loogie Drama, which you might remember we teed up in episode one. Content like this is exclusive for our Patreon members. Plus, we'll send you nudes. I will not be sending nudes, but whatever you work out between you and the patrons is your own business, Ryan. Are you sure we should be doing this? Patreon looks like they stole their logo directly from Target. You are the only person I've ever had to describe Patreon to, so I don't really trust your judgment here, honestly. But that's a good point. If you want to support us but monthly donations don't fit your budget, you can also buy us a coffee instead at buymeacoffee.com forward slash rooked. Or we also really appreciate ratings, reviews, and shares too. And those are free. We love making this podcast and our motivation is listeners like you. So we really appreciate your support at any level. Go to patreon.com forward slash rooked to support the podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash rooked. Thanks for listening. Obviously, we're stringing all of these events together to find a pattern, tell a story, get to some kind of an answer. But this is all retrospective. You have to keep in mind that when the FTX chess speaks for itself thing happened, it was weird, but not that big of a deal. Things got placed in a completely new light once the Sinkfield cheating allegations were made. So let's fast forward through those couple of weeks to the date in question. It's the Sinkfield Cup, but Hans actually wasn't supposed to be there. That's right. Richard Rapport was originally set to play the event, but he couldn't get there due to COVID travel restrictions. So his invitation was extended to none other than Hans Niemann. This doesn't really matter, but it does help to contextualize some of Magnus's comments in his withdrawal statement. Quote, When Niemann was invited last minute to the 2022 Sinkfield Cup, I strongly considered withdrawing prior to the event. End quote. Part of the problem in this hindsight about the events leading up to the Sinkfield Cup is that even with our best detective skills, we just aren't privy to what happens behind closed doors in elite chess. Here's a clip from the C-Squared podcast hosted by world number two Fabiano Caruana and GM Christian Chirilla. Fabi, uh, the Sinkfield Cup is over. Um... This is uh, recorded after the last game. How do you feel about the tournament? The tournament was defined by Magnus's uh, dropping out and everything that came with that, which kind of became a scandal because it's, it's unprecedented that the world champion, or in fact anyone from a, from a top level, uh, withdraws mid-tournament and doesn't give a clear reason, especially. We, we do have some theories about this that have gone around. Uh, what is your take on that? Overall, well, I, I mean, the obviously the the biggest theory is that uh, he left because he was worried that that Hans has cheated in this event or in the past. Uh, like, there's two sides of this. I think one is that the cheating is such a huge problem in chess, and we have to recognize that. The other thing is that uh, you know accusations, whether they're true or not, carry a huge amount of weight. 
And especially when it comes from someone who has a lot of influence in the chess world. The fact that Hans cheated on chess.com was not public. But do you think Magnus knew about his cheating uh, accusations? I know he knew. I mean, he knew. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, you hear things and uh, it is a small world and, yeah. and things do get said and passed around. So something happened between the FTX Crypto Cup and his loss to Hans at Sinkfield Cup. Again, just a matter of weeks. That made Magnus change his mind about being willing to play Hans. We're probably never going to know for sure what combination of things went down behind the scenes. But we can analyze what happened publicly until the cows come home. And baby, that ain't anytime soon. Oh man, that was dumb. That's not even a funny joke. I guess I just mean that it might just be an endless conversation. Like, why did Magnus handle this the way he did? Whether or not Hans cheated at Sinkfield? What aroused Magnus's suspicions about Hans cheating? None of these questions are answerable. But I think the reason all of this is compelling despite that is Sinkfield ended up being a lightning rod for all these separate pieces. For whatever reason, it transmuted into a cohesive scandal story. All of the weirdnesses just got amplified and blown up, and now it's hard to pick out what's true and what really happened. But I think one of the ways of doing that is to pay attention to all the little weirdnesses. Okay, weirdness number one, Hans's post-match analysis. We already talked about this a bit in episode one, But honestly, for us to replay that clip and analyze why it was so weird is just boring and super dense. Frankly, I've watched this clip a number of times and it is practically gibberish for a non-chess person. But here's part of it anyways. But um, yeah, A3 is just, with takes and C5, it's very concrete. And then uh, I think I vaguely remember after H6, I think even, even a queen H4 might be a move here. What does the engine say? Okay, it's not not here, not here, not here. <laughs> okay, maybe I remember some queen h4, but yeah, okay. Uh, after bishop e6, it's just uh, quite difficult. Still, I think I played really well. I was very happy, you know. I had some great. Let's okay, let's go. I want to enjoy it. You know? <laughs> it's really nuanced, you know. But even if you have chess knowledge, here's what comes out of his post-game interview. Number one, he references games that just don't exist. Number two. He played such an odd sideline so perfectly, he practically seemed to know what Magnus was going to play. But then when he was asked to analyze the position and make a move, he suggested a line where he was down six points of material and in a completely losing position. Essentially, Hans played well, but then in the analysis afterwards, seemed to struggle to keep everything straight to find the moves in the post-interview that had actually won him the real game. But just to play devil's advocate, Hans does know how to analyze a game. He's done dozens of post-game interviews where his analysis is very clear and coherent. That's part of what makes this analysis so weird. Here's what Fide Master James Canty III had to say when we asked him about Hans's analysis. I really didn't even care. I was like, bro, that's just, that's just stupid. Like, for me... Like, bro, he's like 2,700. And still, to this day, there's no evidence. So for people to say, you know, oh, the analysis was this. Like, he could have just did that on purpose. You don't even know that. Like, you have no idea. Oh, that didn't sound like a 2,600 analysis. Bro, he could have been trolling you the whole time. And guess what? It worked, right? You know, you know, that's what I thought. That's about my thing about it. Like, did you hear the analysis? I'm like, yo, but did you find any evidence, though? And like, you know, well, no, but his analysis. So you're banking it off of his analysis is what you're saying. What if he was messing with you? Oh, you don't have an answer. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? So I really was like, I don't I don't believe it. You know, I don't believe that he's cheating. And still to this day, there is no evidence that he was cheating. All right. So that's the weird analysis that Hans gave at Sinkfield. On to weirdness number two, which is a much more prolifically weird thing that you might have already picked up on in the clips that we've played of Hans. But if you didn't pick it up, that's okay, too. He's been called out and even made fun of a bunch of different times by all sorts of different sources for his, shall we say, unusual accent. One that he has not always had. 
Here's what Hans says in an interview when asked directly about his accent. This is just the most funny thing. Because if you want me to speak like an American right now, I, don't, I can't even tell. I spend so much time working on chess that I simply don't go outside and socialize with people who speak fluent English. Like, this is just, this is just one thing I want to talk about. I'm just, before I say anything, like, I have spent the last two years not spending any time in America, and even when I'm in America, I don't go outside other when I pick up my food. I'm just too busy with chess. So all these things saying that, like, I'm faking an accent and that, like, I'm putting on some facade, that is, like, the most ridiculous thing I've ever said. And, and, and if anyone is using my, my newfound uh, accent to make any conclusions about anything chess-related is, like, absolutely insane. Let's turn to the good folks at Reddit for this one. The archived discussion thread titled, Where is Hans Niemann's Accent From?, is very helpful and quite hilarious. And it also gave us a lot of amazing resources, so we'll link it in the show notes. Here's an example of what Hans sounded like early in his streaming career, 2018-2019. For context, Hans thinks he's playing a cheater here because their accuracy is surprisingly high. Wow, he just played. I don't know what the heck even happened there. It's like everything was together and then it just collapsed. 99.4, oh, okay. That makes sense. I guess he just played a good game. 99.4 is a little bit high, but I don't like accusing people. And here's another one where you can really hear the California in his accent from this same time period. So, uh, yeah, so Nick will get you a diamond membership. Um, and then you can, like, do a bunch of puzzles and stuff. You can watch videos. Um. Compare that with his weird Euro hybrid accent a few years later. This clip is actually from his interview that he gave after beating Magnus at Sinkfield. And already he's demoralized, right? So, you know, uh, when I've played him, I noticed sometimes when he wants to assert dominance, he cracks a little smile. He wasn't cracking when he smiles, maybe one or two, and that made me feel very good. Because I just, I, you know, of course, I grew up watching him. I grew up, I've watched all of his interviews, and, and uh, you know, uh, and he said once in an interview that, uh, he spent more than 10 minutes on the move. That's a very bad sign. And uh, he did that a lot this game. Reddit user Fingoth Official says he's not doing an accent. He's doing Bobby Fischer. And then linked to this clip that I've condensed for brevity of Bobby Fischer on the Johnny Carson show. Now, look, you have, you've defeated Boris Spassky now. And you're the champion chess player in the entire world. Now, what is there beyond it? Yeah, this is the big problem. What to, uh, how do I top it? Uh... But I figure if I can keep the title another 30 years, something like that. Just 30 years or so, huh? I woke up the day after the thing was over, and uh, I just felt different, like uh, something would have been taken out of me. Honestly, I kind of hear it. Reddit user The Chess Lobster says, I call it chess speak. I live in Wisconsin, and I have multiple 1,800-plus ELO friends who start doing a Slavic-Russian mishmash accent once they start analyzing games. It's honestly hilarious. So maybe this is just Hans's youth and lack of socialization showing? Some have suggested he puts it on. Either way, it's kind of weird. But it's not completely out of the realm of possibilities that he did develop this accent while in Europe, like he says. Sure. The last weird thing I guess we should point out isn't necessarily a Hans weird thing, but more just how polarizing the post-Sinkfield interview Hans gave has been. Some people were totally convinced on his innocence based on that interview, while others were even more convinced that he cheated. Yeah, even between the two of us, we experienced this. I felt like he was being really genuine. But I felt like he was putting on a show. So we decided to ask some other people's opinions. And since the Chess Feels podcast's whole thing is the psychology of chess, we thought Julia and JJ would have interesting opinions. And we were right. Julia and JJ, the co-hosts of the Chess Feels podcast, had a similar reaction that I did. In that game, do I think Hans cheated? No, I think it would be very difficult to cheat. I think that it's also very difficult to cheat without getting caught, not like from like a physical sense of like someone figuring out what you're doing, but to be able to play 
well enough to beat the best player in the world without it being so obviously played by a computer. So I am very doubtful that he was cheating in that game. Everything that's happened after then has been just really funny um, and just delightful and just showing how much of a mess this entire world is. And I'm here for it. The one thing that occurred that I think actually really helped convince a lot of people that Hans was innocent was the video, the interview that he put out after everything where he essentially said, you know, I didn't do this. I feel so strongly. When I read the transcript of that interview, I actually found it like very moving and very convincing. And then when I actually watched the interview where he delivered that same information, but you could see his body language and the way he was talking, I had a very different experience. And it actually made me feel like as a psychologist, like what he was saying wasn't actually entirely truthful. So it was an interesting experience. This video that convinced a lot of people actually made me feel more suspicious of Hans, although that's not evidence in the slightest, but it just made me feel like the whole thing, like JJ said, is a total mess. And um, I, I didn't feel convinced or convicted that Hans has been just acting like totally ethically like throughout his um, chess career. Did I pick these clips because JJ and Julia agreed with me that Hans seems sus? Maybe. But here's some other opinions about Hans that we also gathered to try and balance things out. First up, Ben again. Especially because of the lawsuit, I feel like it's it sets the bar even higher for what he would need to do over the board in order to sort of just silence doubters and create more opportunities. Whereas before, I feel like if he had performed at a, say, you know, top 20 in the world level, maybe doors would open up with people sort of holding their noses, even if they had a negative opinion. Now I feel like he might need to be top five or something like he might just need to uh, perform astronomically to have doors open for invitational tournaments, obviously, especially if Magnus is playing in them. So if you add that on top of sort of the anecdotal evidence of people like uh, I am Greg Shahadi and uh, the international minister David Vigorito told me a story of like how impressed he was by Hans's calculation. I definitely believe what people have said about he had a natural talent for chess and, uh, you know, finally started to apply himself. Now, doesn't make it impossible that he cheated over the board here or there, but I think even if he did, it would have been not that many games, you know, so... We'll hear more from Mike Boyd next episode when we go in on the cheating itself. But here's what he thought about Hans. When I first heard about it, my knee-jerk reaction was, he's got to have cheated because I, along with many other people, regard Magnus as this superhuman god that never makes a mistake and everything he says is, has got to be right. And then after I finished making the device, I was like, nah, there's... By the time I finished making it, he he had played other tournaments and continued to dominate with the spotlight on him. Not just the spotlight of people checking him for cheating things, and it would be so audacious to cheat after that, but he continued winning and had the pressure of the of the media on him and he continued to, to crush everyone. So I don't think he I, I don't think he cheated in the Sinkfield Cup. Whether or not you think Hans cheated at Sinkfield will leave you on the whole scandal with this last clip from Ben. I do feel like Hans got unfairly singled out out of all the online cheaters. I mean, it does seem like Magnus legitimately, for whatever reason that he has or has not revealed, thought that Hans cheated in that game. But I just think, wait till the tournament's over, share as much information as you can, and go from there. But there certainly, there was no perfect solution. Like, if you're going to single someone out and you're not 100% sure, it's going to be messy. And that kind of brings us up to date in terms of Hans at the Sinkfield Cup. But that was already over a year ago. And one thing you can bank on in chess is that the drama never stops. Hans kept his head down and has still been playing chess OTB. His career definitely slowed down, especially when the lawsuit was happening because he wasn't invited to any tournaments and was only able to play in open tournaments. But... The tournaments that I've played have all been open tournaments where um, I have been the top or second seed. So playing in these tournaments like is like suicide for your rating. Like it's really, really difficult to gain rating. No players of my rating play in these tournaments. And if you look at, let's say, last year, 
Last year, I played Invitationals in St. Louis. I have not been invited to a single tournament to St. Louis. Like, literally, St. Louis doesn't even respond to my emails. They don't invite me to any tournaments, and that's, like, in America. But if you're talking about, like, outside of the U.S., all the Invitational tournaments that I played before, I got no invitations. In fact, from February to April of this year, 2023, Hans didn't play in any tournaments at all. But since the lawsuit has been resolved, it seems like Hans is being invited to tournaments again. Thanks to Magnus's forgiveness, Hans's shadow banning from chess events has now been lifted. Does this mean that the pettiness between Hans and Magnus has been resolved? Absolutely not. Here's another great tidbit from Amelia about this. The meme culture around it all is what gave it its virality, you know? It's what made people outside the chess world so interested in what was going on inside. We had the chess boom after the Queen's Gambit. Since then, it's been kind of the biggest chess boom again after. And so, I don't know. I It's a very strange dynamic to look at. Which brings us to the juiciest, most recent offering in this scandal. On September 25th, 2023, Hans and his lawyer, Terence A. Ovid, are interviewed by Pierce Morgan in a tell-all regarding the recent cheating scandal with Magnus Carlsen. This interview is completely absurd, and we're going to break down the highlights for you in this episode and others. But if you have 20 minutes to spare, you should just watch the whole thing. Make some popcorn. Popcorn's good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you know, but popcorn is like delicious. Are you are you selling popcorn on the side? This episode is sponsored by Big Popcorn. That's Jiffy. That's for sure just Jiffy. Fuck you, Orville. Give us money. First off, Pervy Piers just seems to be way too infatuated with the whole anal beads thing. Just listen to this. You're accused of cheating in a particularly uh, fascinating manner which is the allegation was that your coach had basically uh, instructed you to insert anal beads inside yourself, which he would then send remote signals to. I mean, this isn't really what the original accusation was. Also, why did Pierce describe it this way? Even after Hans's response, Pierce doubles back to the device. I love how Hans responds, just completely writing off the ridiculous prodding. But, but again, to be clear, on the specific allegation, have you ever used anal beads while playing chess? Not a question I ever thought I'd ask a guest, to be honest, but... Uh, well, you know, your curiosity is a bit concerning, you know. Maybe you're personally interested, but uh, I can tell you no. Anyway, here's what Hans has to say about Chess.com's Hans Neiman report. We discussed this in episode one, but just a refresher. This is a 72-page report in which Chess.com pointed out that it was likely Hans cheated in over 100 online games, though there was no hard evidence. Well, let me just clarify that the Chess.com report where they, you know, accuse me of cheating over 100 games is, is completely defamatory. And, you know, as outlined in my lawsuit, uh, you know, uh, the person who actually wrote that report, uh, Danny Wrench, told me himself uh, that they knew that I had never cheated while streaming. And uh, the most serious accusations in that report happened while I was streaming live on Twitch. And the only reason that they banned me, uh, you know, was because they were finalizing, you know, a merger with the Play Magnus group. And uh, their new, you know, you know, star ambassador was making a mockery of himself and they needed to back up his accusations and discredit me. So Chester report accusing me of 100 games of cheating is, is frankly ridiculous. And the timing that they decided to ban me, you know, only during this merger and only after uh, this accusation... You know, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous, and, and that report should not be taken seriously whatsoever. This is something we've alluded to before, but Hans addresses it outright here, which is that Chess.com was acquiring Play Magnus at the exact same time as these cheating allegations were hurled at him. Hans's lawyer calls it a hit piece. Basically, the implication is that Chess.com created the Hans Neiman report to back Magnus, and either fudged the numbers or cherry-picked them by finding games in their database that seemed fishy. Hans seems to be implying that Chess.com already had their conclusion 
and were essentially working in reverse to conduct their experiment, which breaks rule number one of conducting an experiment, which is to not be biased. It's like a backronym, an acronym made in reverse, like seasonal affective disorder, a.k.a. SAD. Wait, what? I really thought that it was just a weird coincidence that seasonal affective disorder spelled SAD. It makes me sad to learn that that's a backronym. Yeah, of course it's fucking sad. It's 40 below in Canada, and we all live in igloos. Anyway, there's a few other things to discuss about this particular interview, in this episode at least. The first is that Hans outright calls Magnus a bully. This is simply a case of, of you know, where bullies are, 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 you know, going after someone because they threaten their business interests. So it's you know, Magnus Carlson a bully? Of course he's a bully. He used his entire empire. He used his connections to chess.com. He leveraged his, you know, the fact that there's a, you know, a, a merger happening. And he got all of these people to attack me. And it was, it's a bully. It's a simple thing. But, you know, I don't, you know, let people bully me. I'm going to stand up to him. And I stood up to him. And, you know, I look forward to competing him against the board again. To me, Magnus being a bully is just the other side of the coin of Magnus being a vigilante for chess justice. The way Magnus went about accusing Hans was ridiculous and should have been done behind closed doors. But maybe he thought it was the only route available? I think that scapegoating someone is a bullying tactic. Whether or not he intended to, Magnus handpicked Hans out of this seemingly endless bag of cheaters and chose to throw his entire existence into the limelight for everyone to make a mockery of. Okay, back to the Piers interview, because this is probably the juiciest part. <laughs> I mean, considering Piers' comments, it seems to me that Piers thinks the juiciest part is Hans's ass. Ryan, come on. Where'd he poops from? If you're not going to take this seriously... Just one poop joke. You said I get to squeeze one out every episode. Oh my god. I'm going to talk now, and you can have a timeout and think about your life choices. So the juiciest part is that Hans addresses that the lawsuit is now resolved. Here's that exchange. Are you still suing him for $100 million? No. You dropped that? The case has been resolved, Pierce. Yeah, did, did he... Correct. Did, did he pay any money, or...? We can't discuss that. OK. Yeah, we keep saying that we're going to get to the lawsuit in another episode, but I just want to say this. The terminology being used here is interesting. The case has been resolved, but Hans can't discuss if Magnus paid him any money. To me, this just means the case had to be settled with some sort of compensation. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that we will probably never know the answer to how much money Hans received, assuming he did receive a payout, which seems more than likely. It is so anticlimactic to just be like, well, the lawsuit's resolved now. It's very annoying to not be privy to the behind the scenes because of the law and the legal things. But despite how anticlimactic that is, at least that's not nearly the end of this story. We keep saying it, but there is actually more to come. So where does this leave us? Hans Niemann is for sure a weird guy. But how much of the weirdness is just him being young? How much of it is a calculated persona he's adopted in making himself out to be Chess's baddest boy? You can hear it in his voice in the many clips scattered throughout this episode. And you can see it in the videos, too. He has this smirk on his face, like he's trolling everybody. And loves that we're falling for it. Just like Magnus... He's also become a caricature of himself. Maybe he didn't deserve to be the scapegoat for all cheating in chess. But on the flip side, we know that he's cheated online and doesn't seem to think it's a big deal. Maybe he did cheat at the 2022 Sinkfield Cup, and maybe he didn't. We'll probably never know. The resolution of the lawsuit is that legally, Hans didn't cheat. But really, only one person knows the truth. And it's not Magnus. It's not Fide. It's not Chess.com. Hans is the only one who can tell us. And one look at that smirk tells me that he probably never will. 
Smash that like button. On the next episode of Rucked, we talk about what I'm sure you've been waiting for. The device. We discuss all things cheating. A history of how cheating has impacted chess throughout time. The technical and technological ramifications. And of course, anal beads. Oh, and one last thing. We'll talk about how Magnus has publicly accused yet another up-and-coming young player of cheating over the board. This time with a watch. Rooked the Cheater's Gambit is written and produced by me, Jess Schmidt. And by me, Ryan Webb. Our amazing music is by the ever-talented Lorna Gilfeder. Our executive producers are Rooney and Indigo. Speak. Speak. This podcast is recorded on the traditional Treaty 7 territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the land of the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pekani, as well as the Stony Nakoda and the Sutina Nations. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta of Region 3, within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. In the spirit of respect, reciprocity, and truth, we honor and acknowledge all nations, Indigenous and non, who live, work, and play on this land, and who honor and celebrate this territory. This gathering place, and therefore this podcast, provides us with an opportunity to engage in and demonstrate reconciliation. Access to clean drinking water is a basic human right. Yet there are 28 long-term drinking water advisories on Indigenous reserves across Canada, including some that have been in place for more than 25 years. The Parliamentary Budget Officer of Canada identified a $138 million per year deficit in funding for the maintenance and operation of drinking water systems on reserves. The lack of clean, safe drinking water for all Canadians is a clear violation of the UN-recognized human right to water and sanitation. So what can you do? The first step is to educate yourself. Check and see how close you live to the nearest drinking water advisory and take action. Write an appeal to your local and federal governments to ensure that clean drinking water is accessible for all Canadians. Because water is a human right.